week, I've seen these little, three little men standing beside me in their little white coats. A couple of them had glasses on, that was about it. But we get on the blankets and look out again, they're gone. Oh, sort of like doctors in a way. That's all, nothing special. But I didn't know they used to scare shit out of me. What did you do when you put your head under the blanket? I'd wait a couple of minutes and fucking have a look again to see if they're still there. And were they still there? Sometimes they were and sometimes they weren't. I still knew I put my head under the blankets again. <laughs> I think you are going to love this episode. So, if you're game, let's go down the rabbit hole. Oh, oh the heads were just above me pillars. Come on, tell me something else. Do they have like the heart shaped head that was upside down? They have like no, how many just, fingers? Just normal. No, just normal. Just normal. All I can remember is the heads. And they were white coats on. Like, you know, like plain material coat. Like you see in the hospital. Yeah, they just be standing there looking at me. And I go, ah. <laughs> and what did it feel like? You just hadn't seen oh, something. I didn't know. I didn't know what they were doing there. Did when you? I look out, you know, they'd be there and still all of them be gone. And did you ever talk to them? No, no. How old were you? Maybe 15, 16. Probably, uh, probably about 15, 14, 15. Yeah. yeah, that was about it. And how often did they used to visit you? Probably once a month. A few months. Wow. On rock, but sometimes I wouldn't be there. Other times they just turn up. Have you ever told anyone else? <laughs> Why haven't you told anybody? Welcome to Inspector Rabbit. I have a really interesting episode lined up for you today, so thank you for making this podcast a part of your day. I just finished a Zoom conversation with Cheryl Gottschalls, Cheryl is the president of the UFO Research Queensland group on Facebook, the most active Facebook group researching UFOs in Australia. Cheryl has over 30 years experience, has had her own close encounters and various sightings, as well as other paranormal experiences. We talked about different alien species, we talked about different crafts, we even talked about the hotspots in Queensland. So if you're listening in Queensland, Australia, stay tuned. The UFOs might be in your area. Cheryl was an absolute delight to have on the show. She's a very funny, charming woman, and she was very forthcoming about her own experiences and different reports that her group has received over the years. We're going down the rabbit holes. Absolutely. I'm happy to take you down there too. Thank you for coming on the show today, Cheryl. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, you're the president of the UFO Research Queensland group on Facebook. Can you start off by telling me a little bit about yourself and how you got into this group? Well, I've always had an interest in the paranormal and the unusual and the out there sort of stuff. So I seem to have been born with that tendency. And then um, um, I was reading about UFOs from probably about the age of 15 when I could afford to buy my own strange magazines. Uh, and there weren't many around back then. And we're probably talking in the seven, early 70, uh, 70s. Then when I was about, well, then I met my uh, ex-husband and his father had been involved with this organisation, which then was called Queensland Flying Saucer Research Bureau. Sounds very official, doesn't it? <laughs> and very dated now when you think, look back at it. But that was the sort of names that people tossed around in those times. So 
he became my father-in-law so we would have these weekly dinners talking about ufos because of his interest my interest and my <clears throat> husband uh, at the time his interest uh, and then that led us to actually contact um, UFO Research Queensland and we went along to a meeting and my father-in-law had previously been a member some years previously. So the, the night that we went along happened to be the night of the AGM. So the whole committee stood down and they said, does anyone want to volunteer to be on committee? We put our hands up and got involved and that was in 1988 and been involved ever since. Wow. I mean, those sound like some dinner parties I'd certainly love to be at. <laughs> they were. They could be quite heated sometimes because we were talking about deep philosophies and in regard to alien contact, you know, who should speak for planet Earth if aliens uh, contacted us openly as a civilization and all those sorts of philosophical questions, you know. So it was a great, great time in my life, a great learning experience before I even got involved in the organisation. Yeah. And then after I did, uh, soon after that, I was out in the field training, doing interviews alongside a mentor at the time and going into people's homes, listening to their stories, all those types of things, taking reports, getting information from the public over the phone as well, and then going to the meetings at that time. In the first few years, I wasn't involved in running those, but in uh, 1991, I became president of UFO Research Queensland, and I've had two terms as president since then. Can you tell me a bit about what the group does? Yeah, well, we um, receive reports from the public, we document them, and then we disseminate them. And we do that through our website, through our bi-monthly journal called UFO Encounter, through our public meetings, which are now online, by speaking to various groups like library groups, um, school groups when we get asked, interest groups, other organisations like uh, Rotary and uh, Lions Club and National Seniors and women's groups and just people who have a, an interest in the subject. And it's usually the person who runs the organisation who, who contacts us. They're the one who are interested. Yes, yeah, so we're, it's really about dissemination and education and support for people who've had these experiences. So when you get reports from the public, how do you investigate these reports to verify their validity? Well, many years ago, this is 32 years I've been doing this, so probably up to about 15 years ago, every report we received, if they were in Brisbane, if they were local, we would go out to someone's home. And even if it was just a light in the sky, we would stand where they stood and get them to point out what the direction they saw. And Because surprisingly, people are not very good with, you know, discerning their directions mm. uh, and telling you, you know, the height of things, the speed of things in comparison to something else, the size of something in comparison to something else. They're not great, that great doing it over the phone. So it's always really good to do it face-to-face. -face. Um, in recent years, you know, we've lost a few people. They've passed away. And it doesn't seem to be the times that we live in for people to uh, commit to this sort of work anymore, to make long-term commitments. So um, we've had to pick and choose, cherry-pick the ones that we would, reports that we will actually meet face-to-face. -face. And they are usually the close encounter reports because I mean, after many years of hearing reports over the phone, you get to know we got better at, at discerning what they're trying to say and giving them instructions of how to tell us the information. It's the close encounter reports that are very interesting, obviously. And there are a lot of things that, you know, when someone comes forward and tells you about their close encounter experience, they're not going to tell you everything all at once because they need to feel their way into your receptivity. 
Mm. And that can take an hour or two of talking to them face to face to build that rapport. And then they'll sort of lower the guard a bit and tell you a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. It does happen over the phone. Not everyone's in Brisbane, of course, and we're probably the most active group in Australia. And uh, so we get calls from people all over Australia. Don't get as many as we used to, but we certainly still get those reports. Yeah. And the types of reports that we get, we'll get current reports of people seeing things in the sky, but we'll also get, we're still getting reports of people telling us things that happened 30 years ago. Oh, wow. It's taken them this long to come forward. Yeah, they will, they will sit on their experiences for a long time. Yeah. Um, because it's sort of, especially a close encounter report, even like I had a call from someone the other day, it was a woman, she was probably about in her 50s, I think, and it occurred when she was a young, she was probably about 14 at the time. And she was living in, I think it was Brisbane Western Suburbs somewhere, either Belbowry, it might have been, before the area was developed. And for some reason, her parents went out that night and left her in charge of her two younger siblings, or a younger brother and a friend who was staying over. And they, she said they wouldn't ordinarily go out and do that, but something came up and they just had to go out. So anyway, they were jumping up and down on the bed like kids do and, you know, having playing trampoline, etc. She noticed a light out in the sky and it was coming closer and closer and closer. It got close enough that she got worried. She grabbed her younger brother close to her and pulled them down and said, shh, be quiet. And then they slowly went over to the window and they watched this object come down in the sky vertically. And as it came down, it didn't come down smoothly. It came down in jagged jumps. And I'm only guessing this, but it was like uh, 30 foot drops very quickly and it would stop and go down and down, like it was going down the ladder in the air. And it was a classic spaceship. It eventually touched ground across the road from them, bushland just directly across the road from their home, and they watched it. And she described it as being like two inverted uh, dinner plates on top of each other. So you have the, you know, the, the narrower edges to, uh, towards the, the extremities and it was thicker in the middle. Around the middle was uh, a line of light and it was going around and around and around, circulating around the middle of the like your classic, classic spaceship. spaceship yeah classic yeah. spaceship what you see in yes. kids storybooks or what most people think of as a, a flying saucer absolutely and what happened after that was um because it was making like she said it was making like a very subtle whoosh noise as it landed actually actually touched ground um and when it did it stayed on the ground for about 15 minutes and then it just it just did everything in reverse it lifted up in, in jagged jumps going up, back up into the sky, and then it just took off. And uh, her parents uh, came home. Her little little brother told um, told her father what had happened, and, you know, he didn't believe him, but he's asked her what happened because she was known for telling the truth to her parents. And she, he said, did you see this? And she said, yes, I did, Dad. And it turned out he was a pilot. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, was he working at the Amberley Air Base at that time? Because that uh, I can't remember. It he might have been at... Yeah, I'd have to look at my notes. Uh, so the next day he went over there and he went and had a look at where she said it had come down. And sure enough, there was a, a big round circular swirl mark in the long grass. Wow. Are, are there any areas that you've found that are hotspots in Queensland? 
over the years there have been probably the latest the last one that we became aware of was up near cardwell um south of cairns okay and and it's well known that there's a phenomenon there called the cardwell lights so people will see these lights they'll also see other strange things like um yowies small hairy men um there's um a place there called Black Mountain, not far from there, called Black Mountain, which, um, you know, there's a, a story of Aboriginal mm. spirits mm. Um, <clears throat> having a falling out and cursing the land and people go disappearing there. And so it's a very strange area. Mm. But in other times, there's been like uh, Mount Warning, um, just over the Queensland, New South Wales border. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been Gympie, there's been the Brisbane Valley out from Brisbane to Toowoomba um, and the sun, uh, sunshine, sunshine Coast, particularly up around the um, Glasshouse Mountains. I'm interested in the uh, reports that you mentioned between uh, Brisbane and Toowoomba. Can you tell me about some hotspots and stories from those areas? <laughs> yeah, um, a couple stand out in my mind. There was one who... Um, of a gentleman who rang and he said, I saw this huge, huge classic spaceship um, hanging over the, the valley there as he was coming down the Toowoomba Range heading towards Brisbane. And he said it was huge. It must have got, now this is going back in the um, late 90s. And he said, it, you must have had hundreds of reports of that and we didn't, had none. Wow. He said, well, I'm really surprised that people, other people haven't seen it. Why, ha- why do you think they haven't seen it? And the question really was, well, why do you think you've seen it? So um, it's, it's um, over the years we've come to, to um, the thought that um, people who see UFOs um, and like good sightings like that one or, or close-up sightings and multiple sightings they're sort of, um, there's a reason. We don't even know exactly why, but there seems to be a percentage of the population that's predisposed to having these sorts of experiences. And that flows over into paranormal experiences and, uh, you know, things like needed experiences and seeing ghosts and having uh, visions, deathbed visions and all those sorts of unusual things, um, apparitions, uh, which is, you know, which is normal in the UFO field for people who, who see you have good close sightings. Mm. So are you suggesting then that the, the people who see UFOs and have seen multiple UFOs or had those encounters with the paranormal, perhaps they have an additional sensory perception that the rest of us don't have, or could it be that the aliens or the UFOs only appear to those who they want to appear to? Because surely that man wasn't the only person on the Toowoomba range that day. Good question. Good question. Yes, it's something that puzzles us and has for a long time. I guess I'd like to sort of cite the work of Dr. Ken Ring here, who is a uh, near-death experience researcher, or he, he was uh, for a long time. He, I think he sort of hung up his shingle in, in that area now. Um, but I hosted him here in Brisbane in 1995, and he'd written a book called um, UFOs, NDEs and the Mind at Large. And he had studied the lives of the people who were reporting near-death experiences as well and close encounter experiences. And he found they had something in common. 
he found that in their childhood they had either had um, mental, emotional or uh, physical or verbal abuse. They had a lot of trauma in their life, uh, in their early childhood. Um, and it may have also been something like they were the oldest of a family and they'd been an absent parent and, and so the parent that was there had to go out while they were um, left to look after the other children, which creates a lot of stress on a child, but at the time they just cope with, you know, they seem to cope with it or they find their ways to cope with it, I should say. Or there's one parent or both parents are alcoholics or, or the other thing is those, they've had great parents and those parents have cultivated within the child a high level of creativity. So they've encouraged them to read lots of bedtime stories, to do lots of art and draw, you know, those sorts of things. And read, yeah, read their own books and all that sort of stuff. So they've been encouraged to be highly creative. And they were the two things that he found that they had in common. So you've got that sort of personality who seems to be predisposed to having these experiences. Now, there could be reason, and there's probably another one, but I'll just cover these two. The one that's it's the creativity is cultivated. It, when you're highly creative, you're using more or different aspects of your brain than a person who's more logical and linear thinking. Also, people who have undergo trauma or duress for a long period of time, there's been a lot of research done around the connection between trauma or, and stress, duress, and the paranormal. And so it seems that those types of experiences can open people up more to the paranormal, make them more susceptible than other people. Um, there's a third aspect to this too, and that goes into the alien abduction experiences, which some people would have heard of, which seem to be genetically linked. They seem to follow a family line. It may not be direct. Uh, someone might report a close encounter or an alien abduction experience which the difference is that an abduction experience is often traumatic and negative and frightening uh, as opposed to a, 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 a positive interactive contact experience where it's not like that at all. Um, so, so, for example, if someone came forward and told us about their experience, we'd say, well, has anyone else in your family had this sort of experience? Okay. Well, yes. Well, what, like your parents, your grandparents? Well, my, my mother and my mother's uh, sister and her daughter or son or whatever. Um, they're not necessarily directly linked in the patriarchal or matriarchal mm. lineage or an uncle on another side of the family or people like that. So, and they often are also psychic and have medium mediumship abilities. So it's a really big package. People yeah. just don't ha have a close encounter or see a UFO that we would consider would be genuine, a genuine UFO. It seems to be that possibly, put it this way, it's not written in stone, but possibly current research seems to point to it being um, them being selected. That's interesting. Wow. So you've talked about so much there. And I suppose with um, anyone who's been through trauma or, you know, perhaps had not great parents as they were growing up, there's research to show that those children need to have an extra extra sensory perception in order to perhaps predict uh, behavioural patterns in their parents or be on the lookout or please mum or dad because they 
something. And I wonder if that's changed something in their brain, first of all, to keep themselves safe and stay away from any kind of danger or abuse they might experience. Perhaps that's the part of the brain that can perceive UFOs or gives them that psychic ability. It's interesting that you talk about the experiences happening throughout the family as well, whether it follows the matriarchal or patriarchal lineage or nothing at all, because what you're saying is that, is that families are talking about this kind of thing. This kind of thing isn't really talked about in, in society, but a lot of people talk about it within their families or close social groups. And, and it's, it's obviously happening, dedicated over 30 years of your life to this. And, you know, it, it's just fascinating to know that there are so many people and so many families out there who have had these close encounters or abduction experiences, which I'm really interested in both of those things and to hear more about you know what what the abduction experience might be or the, the close encounter experience and particularly the descriptions of the beings that you might have seen or others might have seen but it's a shame in some ways that people are having these experiences but they don't feel comfortable talking about them and I hope that as society goes on and modernizes that this will just be a normal conversation it might be a normal conversation for you or I I mean I certainly bring it up at dinner parties and watch the faces of my guests kind of you know, change to shock. <laughs> um, but it would be really nice if we could just talk about these things in, in normal everyday life. Well, I would agree with your point about people having these experiences. Uh, certainly, I don't know if they'd become psychic. They could grow, grow into psychic, but before that, they would certainly be hypervigilant. So that hypervigilance, um, you know, possibly lays down new neural pathways in the in the brain or activate some that um or something in our dna that makes us more more receptive or more able somehow expands the senses that we already have to be able to see these things to be able to interact with them because there's also telepathic communication is spoken about too yeah so um so maybe that sort of um triggers our telepathic abilities too because we certainly have people who've come forward a lot over the years who've said well I was just sitting down watching tv one day and I got this urge to go outside and when I did I saw something in the sky I couldn't believe it you know and they'll say oh, I was a skeptic before I saw this I can't believe that I, I actually saw something that I just couldn't explain yeah. So um, there seems to be some sort of telepathic prompting for some people going on as well. But um, there, pe while people do talk about this within families, they don't talk about it much. What happens, and I find this a lot from, from witnesses who come forward, they say, the strangest thing is we had that experience, uh, like that one I was telling you about with the UFO that landed across the road. We had this experience. Um, but we never spoke about it ever again wow. all these years. That is not uncommon at all. Other people will talk about it, but they might have got a lot of flack and they'll become like the black sheep of the family, so they'll stop talking about it. Yeah. And it's happened to them with their friends and their workmates, so they just stop talking about it. Mm. So in that way, it sort of instigates a, a self-cover-up in that respect. But, yeah, it's, and it's a really strange thing. Something so exceptional happens and it's like their mind closes down to, to stop talking about it. Yeah, that is such a shame because there are people out there having such remarkable experiences. And I'd, I'd love to hear about some of those experiences. Um, have you ever had a close encounter? Can you tell me? Yeah, I have. 
Yeah, um, it was about 1990 and um, I was asleep in bed uh, with my husband at the time. It was the early hours of the morning and there was a window, a big window next to my side of the bed and it was facing out on the street. And there was a street light outside and um, I woke up. I don't know what woke me up. I just woke up and I saw these three small beings standing next to the bed and they were um, about three to three and a half feet tall. They had the classic inverted pear-shaped head, so they were bigger at the top and smaller at the bottom. Um, like ours, of course, but um, I'm also. Um, <clears throat> so just grab a pear and turn it upside down, you'll know what I mean. And they had big, big eyes and they were dark. Now, this is the interesting thing. I haven't been able to reconcile this because the light was behind them and creating, so, so they were in silhouette between mm. me and the light. Mm. How I remember seeing their eyes, I have no clue because it was dark, their faces were dark, but I had this memory of seeing their eyes. But anyway, um, and they were very skinny, emaciated, and they were just standing there looking at me, not moving. And um, I looked at them and I sort of, in something inside, went, whoa. You know, like not, didn't just go, whoa, went, whoa. <laughs> um, and uh, it was a, the response I had was very surprising to me. It still surprises me, although I've heard a similar response from other people since, is that I pulled the sheet up over my head and uh, started saying the Lord's Prayer, which I had learned in Sunday school many, many, many years before that, and I was surprised I still knew it. So, and that was completely spontaneous. I made no decision to say that to say that prayer um and uh, of course i was terrified i you know my heart was racing i was terror struck mm. I, I came to understand what that word terror struck me i was terrified to my core and then i went to sleep apparently i thought <laughs> um but all i can tell you is i pulled the sheet up over my head saying the lord's prayer and the next thing i knew it was morning and I got up. I had no memory of the experience whatsoever until later in the day. It was just after lunch in the early afternoon. And something happened and it triggered the memory. It came flooding back into my mind. And I went, whoa, that's right. That happened last night. Whoa. Um, and I, you know, for 15 years I told myself that was a hallucination. I thought, oh, no must have been a dream it must have been this must have been that mm -hmm. and yet after you know i was hearing other people tell me very similar stories after that um and um yeah so and I, it took me a long time to come to terms with the possibility that might have been real mm. um and um yeah that's where it is i mean i haven't done anything with it i'm not cracking that one open it's one that can stay shut as far as i'm concerned <laughs> so I'm, some people might want to rush off and have um, memory recall with hypnosis. Um, I don't want to. And I am a clinical uh, clinical hypnotherapist, so um, I know that, you know, the memory that you recall is not always, um, it's not the gospel truth. So um, it's the mind doesn't work like that. It does, it's not a, hypnosis is not a truth serum. So I just thought I've just left it on the shelf. I've just left it there. Wow. That's uh, it's so interesting that you had that response, and it sounds as though at that time you 
you weren't a practicing Christian, but when you were in that terror struck state, that was your, your first response. You didn't, you didn't, I mean, you didn't try and fight them. You didn't freeze. You didn't flee. You just started praying. Why do you think that is? Did you, did they have an evil presence about them? Why were you so scared? There was a sense of malevolence, a deep, strong sense of malevolence coming from them. And I'd only felt, I've only felt that one other time, and that was when I had a near-death experience. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We hear a lot about people having near-death experiences where they go down the tunnel and they see the light and they see beautiful beings and there's lots of love and all that sort of thing. Um, I didn't have that experience and, and people, not everyone does, you know, these negative frightening experiences happen as well. I mean, some people um, report going to hell in their near-death experience. What happened for me in that experience was I'd been sick for a long time. I had a chronic illness for 10 years and it was pretty serious. Wasn't, um, wasn't going to die from it, but it was certainly serious and certainly debilitating. And in the middle of it, I had three years of uh, acute illness where I had hardly any energy. My husband had to help me get to the bath to have a bath and those sorts of things. I was pretty weak. Um, and in the middle of all this, in, in I'd been to see many health practi- alternative health practitioners and doctors. I'd be, certainly been over-doctored and traumatised from the medical profession. <laughs> um, I went to, um, in desperation, I went to a hands-on healer. And someone took me there and when they brought me home, um, I laid on the couch, they left and I just laid down on the, on the couch and I saw in the, oh, first of all, I could feel like an, in, I'd sprung a leak in my, in, inside of my elbow, like an energetic leak. Okay. And every time that my heart beat, it was like my energy was pumping, pumped out of my arm mm. and it got really low and I could feel my heartbeat getting lower and lower. And it got to a point where this huge, how can I say, a huge thing like a very malleable ice cream cone on its side. Okay. So it was long. It was, it was the cone side came out of the wall of my lounge room uh, and it came towards me like a trumpet, but it went into the middle of the lounge room and then it sort of turned so that the top of the ice cream cone shape became horizontal and it opened up so it was at at least um six feet in diameter and it was swirling and it was like it had a strong um like a a very strong gravitational pull Mm. and it started pulling me into into it Mm. and i split off or you're in like yes no i had split off from my physical body And my, my physical body was just, I was just lying there just watching everything. I was seeing this vision in what some people might call third eye vision or psychic mm-hmm. vision or somehow that ability had been triggered in me and I could see things that were in the, from the unseen realm, let's put it yeah. that way. And um, so my self that had, de- my non-physical self had detached from my physical body and I was being sucked into this wormhole, basically. Yeah. Uh, and I was clinging, strangely, I was, it was clinging on to the back of the, the lounge chair, like, and I was sort of like being pulled across, yeah. I was horizontal being sucked in. 
and I was really frightened. I, there was a really strong sense that if I let go and if I let myself be sucked in there, I would not come back. And there was a strong sense of malevolence about it. And that was that's the time when I felt the same feeling of being terror struck. And what to just finish off that story, what happened was I never actually entered the tunnel. Um, something went through my mind like a ticker tape which is very strange um you know what a ticker tape is where they used to no. print them out the old the old um communications machines that sort of spell out in text on this long ticker tape like a, no. a type old-fashioned typewriter ribbon but it was paper and it had my daughter's name on it oh and i and it went it, i saw it it just went through my my mind's eye and I thought what and then that was it the whole thing just stopped everything just shut down whatever was going on then I went back into my body so I didn't actually have a full-blown classic near-death experience but I certainly had something like the beginnings of it put it that way Um, but I I knew that you know if I if I allowed myself to be drawn into that gravitational pull that I just would would be leaving the planet for good I didn't want to do that. I wasn't ready to do that. It sounds like you got just just before the point of no return and then yep. you were put back in your body. And, yeah, that's that's a fascinating story. Thank you for sharing that. It's okay. It's I hope it helps somebody else. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not, probably not providing a lot of comfort to those people who are already scared of death talking about malevolence but it's really interesting that you mentioned that you felt that malevolence from those other beings and that the what would we call it a wormhole or a Mm, well people people do report seeing um i'm like after i after i had that experience i'd never i didn't sort of uh i had never seen sketches of tunnels that people enter in near-death experiences Mm. but very much soon after that i picked up a magazine and inside that was an ad for rosicrucians to join and uh, i won't even go into what they are but i just happened to see this ad and in it was a person stepping into this tunnel this wormhole exactly the same as what I had actually experienced. And I've come to sort of think that um, other dimensions might be connected to by these um, wormholes Mm. that our scientists currently suggest may exist, although they have no proof of them. Mm. So it might have been some sort of psychic um, experience or psychic vision of things to come or things that we are yet to um, uh, discover. Wow, it's really interesting. And I, I've often wondered why Why do you think that the UFOs and the beings contained within them are coming here? Because I suppose I'd like to think they're all here to make friends and invite us to their planet or universe or wherever it is they're from. But that's really not where this story's gone so far. <laughs> They don't sound friendly at all. It sounds like, I mean, it doesn't well, sound like Terminator though, but it, I mean, somewhere in the middle perhaps. Look, I think that people report a wide range of experiences. Yeah. So I can tell you that during the 1990s, that they, the alien abduction experiences, the frightening experiences were the only ones we ever heard about. Yeah. Since then, since then people have come forward with positive experiences. 
And, you know, we may have been, I mean, that was a self-selected group, the alien abduction experiences. And they were probably coming forward because they were looking for um, validation, which they weren't getting in their churches. They may have been demonised, right? We've got to get the devil out of you. Yeah. Or they weren't getting that validation from their family uh, or their community that they were involved in. So they'll come into the UFO community and finding UFO researchers like myself who could um, go, yeah, you're not alone. This A lot of people report this stuff, you know, because mm. you've got to remember um, up until uh, about the mid-90s, not many people had home computers. So we weren't hooked up to the internet in the early, you know, 90 to 94 maybe, something like that, 93, 94. So people were coming forward and telling us experiences like this that were, um, you know, you had to buy a book and you had to read about it and there weren't that many books around at that time. Yeah, okay. And computers back then were quite expensive. I mean, they, they still are, but they were bulkier. And even if you didn't have access to the internet, via dial-up, it wasn't reliable and there weren't as many websites out there on various that's right yeah 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 and i think even though early abduction experiences were being reported i think that um the psychic aspects of contact experiences and let's just put them all under the one umbrella now yeah positive or negative the psychic aspects were played down by researchers because researchers for a very long time have wanted scientists to pay attention mm -hmm. and they knew they weren't going to get their attention by talking about these other odd odd sort of paranormal aspects to it so they've played it down a lot for a long time okay i wonder what happened in your experience and that that time lapse that you talk about do you think that you might have been abducted well i'll never know <laughs> <laughs> i do find it very interesting i, I mean i could have just been put back to sleep yeah. from an external source um my own mind my unconscious could have shut it Shut, my, shut me down mm. because it was too much um too much fear because what i was seeing was very very alien and it wasn't just like um i've described to people the fear that i felt at the time was like waking up and seeing a very large actually I, in the past I've, i have said lion but a bengal tiger with the teeth showing you know yeah. and just staring at you as you wake up and look at it in its eyes there's not much you can do yeah. so I was I was frozen in terror I didn't want to move you know it was just that sort of feeling um, which was ridiculous because I could have got up and punched these three little fellows you know <laughs> out if I wanted to it didn't make sense you know I'd been a person whose husband traveled with their job so i'd walk around there if i heard a, a noise in the house i'd get up and i'd have it get the kitchen knife and i'd be walking around the house <laughs> like a psycho you know <laughs> so i wasn't afraid of things but yeah. this it really scared me it really scared me and a lot of people have said to me oh no it wouldn't have scared me i would i'd go up in a spaceship or i'd go with them or whatever i say yeah one thing to say extraterrestrials exist in the universe and that we're not alone Another one to say that here on planet Earth and they're interacting with human beings. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big pill to swallow. Mm. So I'm interested in what you, what the different reports that you've received and over the years, I'm guessing you've compiled different descriptions of beings and different crafts that uh, have been described to you. Can you tell me a little about 
little bit about uh, different species of extraterrestrials? Yeah, sure. Um, well, um, with the alien abduction experiences, we were getting um, reports of people having interactions with these little grey, what they call the grey aliens. And they say that because their skin is sort of greyish. Um, often it could be, they could look quite old. They could almost look like they had wrinkly faces, even though their bodies were quite emaciated and they were short. But there were also tall grey aliens who might have been so tall that they, you know, they'd have to hunch over to fit into a, a normal human's home. Mm. Um, there were, they were also described um, rarely as some being white. Um, there are a few reports I received of people having interactions with blue beings who um, had skin like dolphins. Okay. Um, yeah, there were also, um, just trying to think of others, there were some that looked much more human than these grey aliens. Um, and they seemed to be, they were like what they call the Nordics, they were quite Scandinavian looking. They had long blonde hair. Um, there's I've a well-known case. Yeah. I've heard yeah. about Nordics and they, they could almost pass for being human. humans. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and they're quite attractive. There was a report I received back in, um, in the 90s it was, and it was of a woman who had seen human-looking beings what had happened is it was a, a rainy day, so she and her, a drizzly day, put it that way. So she and her girlfriend had decided to play hooky from work and they went up to Mount Tambourine up to Cedar Creek Falls. But it was still summer. Um, it was, you know, it wasn't a cold day. It was just a bit drizzly here and there. So they went up there and they're walking down towards the Cedar Creek Falls. And as they got down towards the bottom, they noticed these four people in the, in the pool of water there. And she described them as being very human looking all had brown hair, very attractive. Uh, in their 30s, they had, um, <clears throat> there were two men and two women. And she said they were ripping off their clothes and frolicking in the pool of water. And she said it was really bizarre because it was like this was a new experience for them, like they'd never done this before. Wow. And it was not only that, it, that they might have been human and they'd never done it, but they were not from this planet and they were doing it. Yeah, like they've never seen water before. Yes, well, well, frolicking around in a pond, put it that way, in a pool of water. And because they, were they got their feeling they were behaving so strangely, so this gives you an idea, uh, the, the, girl, the two girls who were, I think they were um, in their late 20s at the time, they hid behind this big rock to watch these people do what they were doing. And one of the fellows, she said he had these beautiful blue eyes, extremely blue. And around his amulet, he wore a blue, uh, sorry, around his neck, he wore a blue amulet. And they knew that the girls were there. They knew it, but they didn't let on until he turned around and looked at them where they were hiding behind the, the big, huge rock. And she said when he looked at them, the amulet, when he looked at them, the amulet glowed. So, uh, and, um, so she, they left in a hurry. And later that day in the evening, she said she was sitting at home watching television and where the television was, right next to it was a window and there was a bush uh, behind the window. And she could see four um, silhouetted shadowy figures through the window, sort of hiding in the bush or standing near the bush. And she got the message, we saw you at the falls today. 
Wow, just telepathically. She, yes, telepathically. And then she had a whole series of other strange experiences, like she saw little blue lights in the house, which her flatmate also saw, and they were sort of spinning around in the middle of the lounge room. And on another occasion, they appeared while she was driving and her, her housemate was with her. And she said, I've got no control of the car. And he said, what do you mean? She says, look. And she, she took her hands away from the wheel and, the, and it was steering itself. The car was steering itself. It was all very, very bizarre, I have to tell you. <laughs> very yeah. bizarre. It's so fascinating it's, though because it makes it yes. so they have some kind of um, – technology where they can figure out where you live and they can take over our technologies our you know our very uh, primitive technologies i'm sure in comparison to to theirs there's yep and there's certainly a case that you've just prompted me to remember in 1992 there was a woman um who lived at ipswich mm. but she worked in brisbane and she was going home at two o'clock in the morning she worked for recq call center and uh, she was driving home and, and got into the town of Ipswich and she saw this light in the sky. It got closer and closer and closer to her and it started pacing her car. Oh, wow. And she said, yeah, she said, <laughs> I could have put my arm out the window and touched it. It was that close. And it was the length of her car or small car. It was silvery. There was no, there were no um, uh, joins on it. It was just beautifully and sleek beautifully made and very sleek and advanced it followed her for it paced her for a bit it had a light on the on the rear um, which she saw when it took off um, in front of her the boom gate had come down for the train there was another car parked in front of her she stopped and the object took off and it disappeared she's getting then so she goes on she thinks wow that was what the hell was that you know and then um, she's driving gets to the top end of her street and she drives down and she sees the object hovering over her neighbor's garage. Wow. So she's pulled up at the entry to her own oh, driveway. What? what? I would have turned around. <laughs> <laughs> she pulls up to the entry of her own driveway and thinks, mm -hmm, what the hell am I going to do? I want to get inside my house. That's yeah. where I'll feel safe. Uh, but she was so frightened. I mean, this thing was close. Um, and anyway, she got up the gumption to drive in, grab her keys, race to the, to the front door and let herself inside. And then she called us. And what had happened was when, um, when she went inside, the object went from a neighbor, over a neighbor's garage to over her backyard. Mm. And it hovered there for an hour. It lit up the whole backyard. Uh, and, uh, and then it eventually took off. But the next day, the, uh, she had a foot of water um, had gone from her swimming pool. The big mango tree in the backyard died off. Mm. And the little dog that was um, yapping at the, yeah. at the UFO, it was outside yapping, um, <clears throat> over the next month it lost all its hair and, and it eventually died. So oh. that was a very good case, well documented, um, but it does demonstrate that they know where we live. Wow, that is <laughs> I'm just awestruck. I don't even know what to say. That's that's an incredible story. It is. It is. Experience. Yes. Um and that lady was I heard her tell her story for years. She never changed it. Um she had been in the um 
in the WAFs, the Women's Air, um, something or other, Air Force, you know, and she was a very straight up person. She didn't, you know, she'd been used to dealing with military people. She dotted her I's and crossed her T's, never exaggerated anything. Uh, And she told the same story until I never saw her again, which was, you know, probably 20 years later. Uh, And, um, and I've heard many stories like that, many. You mentioned a lady from your last story was in the Women's Air Force before they, um, you know, were allowed to be in the Royal Australian Air Force. Do you think that the Australian Air Force knows about UFOs and different beings visiting? What's going on there? Absolutely. Yes, for sure. Um, In fact, they were collecting reports from the public until 1994 and they decided in their wisdom that um, UFOs were not a threat. So what they, and they felt that was they were, you know, taking reports from the public were taking up too much of their time, et cetera, et cetera. So they circulated a letter to all the civilian UFO groups saying that they were then going to pass on reports from the public to organisations like ours. Wow. We said, well, thank you not <laughs> because we don't have the resources you do. We're voluntary organisations um, and we've got to work, you know, <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, Do you have a copy so, of those letters? Yeah, yeah, still got it, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, maybe we could put one on the website when they, when this episode comes out too. Sure. Show people, that would be really interesting for historical value as well. Yeah, ex- absolutely, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so... Um, Yes, the military certainly know what's going on. Um, there's been a worldwide cover-up for a very long time. But, you know, in, in the recent years, um, like in 2017, the Navy pilots, um, that the, the military released um, footage, official, oh, not officially, they did that recently, but in 2017 they released footage um, taken by Navy pilots off the um, west coast of the US uh, when the, they're on... Um, the American Navy? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yes, yes. The American Navy released that footage. Sorry, when it first came out, it wasn't officially released. It was leaked, but it's been officially released um, this year. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, so but over the years, many things have been, um, lots of people have worked towards disclosure. Um, for example, in 2001, United States, Dr. Stephen Greer, um, gathered uh, 20 of his 400 witnesses that he had um, got their testimony on video and um, they had a national press conference in uh, the Washington Press Club in 2001 and um, those witnesses stood up and swore that uh, what you know they knew about the UFO phenomenon while they held their positions in the military uh, or in air traffic control, in civilian services, which were involved with, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and they would swear before Congress that it was true. That was a big thing. Yeah. And they called that the Disclosure Project, you know. So, um, and there's been various things like that. We've had similar sort of thing n- um, digging through archives here in Australia, um, through the National Library archives, um, finding that we had the Disclosure Australia project too in uh, um, after that. And there were a, 
uh, one particular researcher, Keith Masterfield, spearheaded a group of people who did that. They went through and they pulled out thousands of pages of reports from the archives uh, and documented those. And but yeah, it's um, the military know about it for sure. But no, there's no pressing reason for the governments to come forward and say that we are not alone in the universe. Not until it gets onto some sort of ballot paper. <laughs> okay. It becomes a political issue, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's okay. no drive for it. Yeah. Right now, I, I do not think we are ready for disclosure, in like open disclosure. Um, so I think that there is a, a campaign, a silent campaign to drip feed information to the public particularly this recent one where they have officially released, um, you know, Navy, um, Navy pilot footage of objects that were taken while they were in the jets um, and on their, on their uh, training mission. So, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's too much for humanity to take on uh, in a, um, a big swallow of it, to put it that way, because yeah. we have to be prepared to accept that um, we are not alone in the universe for, for authorities to come forward and say that. And then, because from then, the first thing people are going to say is, are we safe? Mm. Right? So that's what holds them up. Because, to be honest... I'm not saying this to frighten people, but I'm just saying we have not been off, hardly been off this planet. We do not know that we are safe. Hmm. So, and there's nothing on this planet of our own technology that can, um, you know, overcome advanced alien technology. Okay. Well, that certainly is frightening. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see the dilemma then, can't you, yeah. as to why they won't come out and say it officially. It doesn't really change anything. If we're not safe now, we won't be safe knowing. But. Well, we're never safe. I mean, an asteroid could hit the planet, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. What do you think they're doing here? Why do you think they're visiting Earth? I think there's a variety of agendas. I think there would be um, some of them would be here um, because they are scientists, just like we have scientists and um astronauts going to other planets and doing you know conducting research and gathering samples and and certainly from the testimony of witnesses who talk about seeing um <clears throat> beings who uh seem to be collecting things from the ground insects um uh and and sort of studying the the soil and taking up water well that could be for who knows what that's for it could be for drinking it could be for fuel it could be to get the hydrogen out of the out of the uh the water um, who knows um so there's certainly a, a scientific side to it it could that if it depends who the beings are they could be time travelers. are they coming back to see their ancestors to see what they were like right before they left planet earth before we became a space-faring society um could they be here because they're collecting DNA and it could be human, it could be animals, it could be plants, it could be all sorts of things. Um, could there be a, a cosmic black market out there that trades in DNA? Yes, there could. We don't know. You know, if you think about it, one of the greatest commodities on this planet is the diversity of life. 
So DNA could be, um, especially from our planet here, sort of in the backwash of the Milky Way galaxy, and we haven't been off the planet yet, so our DNA hasn't mixed with a lot of extraterrestrial uh, other, other races uh, where possible. Uh, and so our DNA may be of a certain type or in a pure form or something like that that, that may be very valuable on the cosmic black market mm. or just in normal, normal trade circumstances, you know. Okay. I've heard stories before about aliens coming down to extract our DNA and mixing it with theirs and, um, you know, do you think that there's a possibility that, well, they're already living among us, as you mentioned earlier, with the, um, the Cedar Falls Creek uh, example, but also could they be trying to breed their races with ours? They yes, be? they could be. Yeah. Um, um, people have come forward and talked about their experiences on craft and as they're being as they're being moved around in the craft or being shown as some of them are in the more positive experiences get like given a grand tour um, they're reporting seeing things like um, uh, unborn fetuses in glass jars mm. on, in rows along the wall I mean that gives a whole new perspective of the term mothership doesn't it you know it's they could be planetary gardeners. They could be seeding life on other planets. Um, who knows? You know, there's, there's a whole array of possibilities there. Um, there could be a, there's been a suggestion there's a hybrid breeding program that they are mixing alien um, genes with human genes and creating these hybrid children, which they are letting them form within a, a, a human being until a, the fetus is of a certain age you know like four six months and then it just they disappear and women have these what doctors would then call phantom pregnancies you mustn't have been pregnant it, you know you it was a phantom pregnancy and that's why your body's just gone back to normal well i don't think that's true in some cases i think that the fetuses have actually been taken away from women and that's what a lot of people thought the alien abduction experiences were all about wow so Frightening, frightening stuff. <laughs> well, you know what? There's going to be a whole lot of um, different types of beings out there in the cosmos, just like there are people with just different principles and ethics here on planet Earth. There are peace lovers, there are warmongers, there are greedy people, there are corrupt people, there are, um, but there are a hell of a lot of good people. Mm. And I'm sure that there are a hell of a lot of good people out there in the in the universe right um it's just that we're not aware of all of them yet well i certainly hope there are lots of uh, other good beings in the universe <laughs> i'm sure there are yeah now i want to finish up uh but before i do are you able to give the listeners a bit of an indication of any hot spots around australia and the world if you know um but in particular Australia at the moment for those people who might be keen to get outside and look at the, look at the night sky or the daytime sky? Um, well, I can't say around Australia, but in Queensland, um, like I said before, there's up around Cairns area. Mm. Um, but I would suggest to people just to get outside, 
and look at the sky, right? Because you're not going to see anything uh, on your iPad or your smartphone or your TV inside the house. You've got to look up. You've got to put unplug and put those things down and look at the night sky um, to actually see something that you may not think is um, man-made. And there's lots of apps available now that can help you discern that. For example, there's um, like the International Space Station Tracker. There's satellite trackers. There's the Iridium Flare Tracker. Um, there's the Stargazer apps like that, which will you know point out what's a planet, uh, you know what's a sun, etc. Um, you know what's an what's a comet going through at the time or whatever. Um, there's all types of um, availabilities now which we didn't have in the past to help us identify what we're seeing in the sky. So I can tell people where to go though, not specific locations, but it's been well known for a long time that UFOs will um, have been seen over large bodies of water. Um, and there were cases, um, there have been cases uh, back again in the 90s. <laughs> I keep referring to the 90s because there was a lot of activity in the 90s, that's why. Not so much activity now, but a lot, a lot then all around the world. Yeah, uh, where people Dam example? Yes, the Wyvernhoe Dam one, yes. Um, and that was, um, but, you know, so, so going out to large bodies of water and they've been seen siphoning water off from those places. Um, going to out to the um, to the beach, sitting on the beach at night, particularly well, preferably when it's warmer, uh, and looking at the sky and watching that. Um, we have had around um, when was it two thousand and two thousand and ten to two thousand and fifteen. We did have a lot of reports coming from the Gold Coast area. Um, now, why I'm not sure. Perhaps it's a different demographic there. Um, you know, there's more tourists, more transient society, you know, people coming and going all the time. Um, but so more people are relaxed, looking up and enjoying the night skies, day skies, all that sort of thing. Could be part of that. Could be the landscape, who knows. Um, but also, um, if there's an air show on, often people will get photos of something really unusual. While they're taking photos of planes, they'll get it something in the background. Um, Wow. Uh, as well and um, and that seems to be could be because they're particularly interested in our technology mm. too so um, and uh, but you know they can just somewhere we can get a really good look at the open sky that's the best place to to go see something right and and go with the right intention too okay thank you would you mind telling us the exam the uh, Wyvernhoe Dam story? Sure. Before yeah. we wrap up. So for those listeners who might be in Fernvale, Ipswich-esque, Lowood, Fig Tree Pocket area, or you know where the Wyvernhoe Dam is, this story's for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, for people who aren't from Queensland, Wyvernhoe Dam is about a 45-minute drive west of Brisbane. And um, it was 1992 when a, a large group of us went out there to have a sky watch. And we were camping for the weekend, so we were staying overnight on the Saturday night. We were actually at the Captain Logan camping ground at the time. And um, there were a lot of people there. Um, we had Actually, we had people who'd come along who were from South America. They'd heard about, they were travelling and they heard about the, um, 
the Sky Watch and they wanted to go along as well because Sky Watching was big in South America. Um, anyway, so I think the total was about 27 people. So we're all camping, sleeping in the backs of cars or just sleeping outside. But we had a roster on the night when we do have overnight sky watches. And um, so we had enough people to break up into groups of three for a two-hour shifts, um, sort of like starting from 6 p.m. going through to 6 a.m. So that the sky was always watched by someone throughout the whole night. And then we're documenting what we're seeing, you know, shooting stars, satellites, etc. Anyway, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. There were three guys who were on watching the skies. They were up behind the camp. We were down towards the water. And um, they came running down. They woke me up and they said, um, we've seen something. Get, get up and come out. And they managed to wake up about eight people. Some people didn't want to get up, didn't want to go out there. <laughs> um, and what they had seen was an, a bright orange light way up high in the sky. And it was coming down lower and lower. And, and so they, what they had done, they were looking through the binoculars. And when they did that, they could see it was three separate orange lights. So as I'm running over the, by the time I got up, and by the way, I grabbed my the video camera at the time, which was a very old style of video camera, um, which I had tested out in the afternoon. It was working fine. That night, the batteries didn't work. They were completely drained. And this is some of the strange phenomena that happens around um, UFOs, that technology just stops. Anyway, I'm running over the, um, this very short, small crest of the hill to go head towards the river, uh, the river, the water. Uh, and I saw the first thing I saw was the reflection of these three orange objects on the water. So they were quite low. They were low enough to be able to make a reflection on the water. And then I looked up and I saw the objects and they were uh, football shaped. They were orange light and they were, it was the orange of the colour of a um, burning ember. Okay. Uh, so if you blew on that on a fire, it was that sort of, where's it flare up and then burn orange. Um, and they were silent and they were moving slowly. And one, they sort of hovered over the, the dam over the water and we were about oh, two to three hundred meters out away from them i'm estimating and if i had to estimate their real size it was probably about they were probably about the length of an average size three-seater lounge chair in length um, and in proportion to a football shape with the rest of it being thicker in the middle and one just went out like it, someone had turned off a light switch. One drifted away and we lost sight of it and it, it just went out. And the other one went over to the other, other point of land and it came down in the trees. So some of the guys got in the car and they sped around there to see if they could see anything, found nothing in the, in the dark. The next morning they went back over there, had another look, scoured the place, looking for evidence of a hoax device because if it was a hoax, like a, hot, um, a Chinese lantern or something like that, mm. we would have expected to find it had come down, you know, landed or, or burnt something or whatever. <clears throat> Could have even started a fire if it was that sort of thing because there were a few trees around. They found nothing. They found no scorch marks on trees, nothing on the ground. 
Um, and we did not know what it was that we saw. We can only tell you, I can only tell you what we did see. Yeah. Um, but what was really interesting was the response by people to what they had seen. Everyone was very different. And me having a, a very, an interest in human behaviour, uh, uh, you know, it was everything from, wow, this is amazing, wow, and they were in awe, to, no, it wasn't real, it wasn't real, it was a hoax, definitely a hoax, to, um, well, I don't know what that was, but oh, I don't think it was that interesting. Um, but it was the way that everyone had a completely different response. Oh, it's the aliens talking to us. They've come. They knew that we were coming here. Yeah. So you know, it was such a wide variety yeah. of responses to the to what we had seen. Yeah. So you can imagine if extraterrestrials showed up here on mass, the wide variety of responses yeah. by the public yeah. of what would happen. Mm. I mean, you get people saying things like, they're here, oh, my God. They're among us, oh, my God. Um, well, that explains a few things. My neighbours, I've always thought my neighbour was a bit strange. <laughs> they were probably an alien all along, you know. <laughs> they planted in human society or my workmates, yeah, they're aliens for sure, you know. And there would be vigilante groups that would rise up. You can imagine that, right? Yeah. So this is the, this is the thing that where people have to be prepared to be able to accept that um, extraterrestrials are actually here on Earth. Yeah, okay. And was there any impact on the water, those um, three orange lights? No? No, no. But I have had other reports where people have said that, like, for example, there was a woman who ran a, a retreat in New South Wales, and I think they had something like 40 rooms at the retreat centre, but there was a swimming pool. Yeah. And a UFO um, appeared over the swimming pool um, where uh, I think it was about four of them were outside and they saw it and it came down quite low over the swimming pool and it disturbed the water. Mm. So it, it's, and she said it was like, it was like, um, it, it wasn't being disturbed by air movement. It was sort of just became choppy mm. and a, a mist rose up off from the water too. Mm. So, um, yeah, there have been cases where that would happen. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, and the responses would be really interesting, um, even to this podcast episode, and I'm really looking forward to um, getting some feedback from the listeners. So thank you very much for your time today. It's been a really, really interesting conversation, and it's always good to get descriptions and, you know, close encounter reports, because often, like you said, when people talk about seeing uh, UFOs or hearing about it, there's no... Um, well, technology stops, so there's no photographs, there's limited videos, and it's really good the work you're doing, getting out there and validating these reports. Thank you for that and the work you do, and thank you so much for your time today. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and tell everybody you know about this podcast. Also, head on down to our Facebook page and please leave a comment. I'd love to know what you thought about this episode. Until next time, I'm your host, Pepper.